Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Stand with me and meet me in the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy. Amen. And if this is your first time as a guest here with us, we welcome you this morning. In the name of Jesus, we welcome you. Glad that you're here and you're always welcome here. If you want to be a part of an imperfect church, then that's us. All right, that's us. And anybody that would be probably honest would say that's every church. Amen, but we appreciate you being here today. Also, uh, coming up here uh, in the month of March, last year we did for the first time, did a March Madness bracket around here uh, for the guys. Brother Malone was our winner last year. He's, and I need to tell you, Brother Malone, you need to bring the trophy because we want to put it on display and start, you know, getting the uh, excitement up about that and such. And so we, we have a bracket uh, for March Madness that I think this... I. I just because I know my wife, uh, not everybody that's involved in sports is a male. Uh, there are females that are sometimes more involved than males. That would be our household. Uh, and so with that being said, I'm just going to open it up for whoever wants to participate, whether male, female, or whatever, old, young, you know, toddlers, you know, I don't know. <laughs> that would just open it up to everybody, amen, for, for just a little little. Uh, in a time of fun and a little competition uh, and something that some people enjoy and so Brother Malone if you can if you need to find it at your house or whatever the condition is there uh, you know bring it we want to put it on display we might have to get glass casing I know so that it's you know locked up and no one just takes it Uh, but uh, anyway that's going to be coming up toward the end of the month really and then leading on over into March and so we have some good times with that we got together uh, last year on the very last a game and got here and watched it here at the church and now we have some means in the back that we might be able to watch a few games here and there if we state some nights and stuff be able to do it together time of fellowship and such so uh, just keep that in your mind as well second timothy chapter number one and this is where i would have went uh, to if i went through all my material yes last week when i had all these half lessons half lessons uh, but i didn't get there so it was good then for this week first timothy chapter number one i'm going to begin reading with verse number 18 and just read a couple verses of scripture and we're still talking about making sense out of forgiveness and this is what the scripture says paul is writing his his letter to timothy his son in the gospel and he says this charge i commit unto thee son timothy according to the prophecies which went before on thee that thou by them mightest war a good warfare holding faith and a good conscience he's talking to us how we can war the good warfare which some have put away concerning faith have made shipwreck amen and so this morning my underneath the heading of making sense our forgiveness just want to talk to us about a good conscience a good 
conscience amen today father we come to you this morning we're grateful lord for another opportunity to be in your house god we are lord thankful unto you because it's in you lord scripture says that we live and we move and we have our being god we're grateful today god for your long suffering and your loving kindness help us today god as we look at your word god in there lord jesus are words for life and we love and appreciate you in jesus name and the church say amen Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. And so as I said, Paul, Paul was kind of a father to Timothy, not in the sense that he was a biological father or uh, even an adoptive father for that means, but he was a father or a mentor to Timothy uh, in the gospel concerning the things of the Lord. He taught Timothy much of the things that he come to know about uh, the way that the, the dynamics of, uh, of the churches and the missionary trips that he traveled with the Apostle Paul on. And so his letter to Timothy is really a lot of wisdom that Paul had garnered over the years uh, and was now sharing with Timothy someone that was kind of stepping into his footsteps. And so he's sharing with him some wisdom or some things that he had learned uh, even through his own life. And one of the things that he told Timothy or recommended to Timothy was this, that he would, you know, fight the good fight, if I could call it like that. The scripture says that war, a good warfare, but to fight the good fight. And then he tells him in the next verse how that is accomplished, how that comes about. And the way that the good fight is fought is, number one, keep the faith, and number two, by keeping a good conscience. And the Bible talks about the conscience uh, from Genesis to Revelation just here and there not majorly but it describes sometimes the conscience as being a pure conscience there are other times it talks about the conscience being a defiled conscience and so con our conscience is not good or another word that it uses pure it is not pure if it is burdened with guilt from wrongs or mistakes Therefore, we must maintain a conscience or at least attempt to a conscience that is free from guilt. And the only way to keep our conscience free from guilt is through the means of forgiveness, which we have spoken of now for the past several weeks. The men who brought the lady in the book, the Gospel of John, the men who brought the woman who was caught, the Bible says, in the very act of adultery, uh, John 8 and 7 speaks about how those men that brought her, they scurried away quite quickly whenever the Bible says that Jesus made a statement to them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. And verse 9 says that whenever these men heard this, being convicted by their conscience, their own conscience, went out one by one because these men, although they may not have been guilty of adultery, they had their own issues. They had their own sins. They had their own mistakes that they were guilty of. And so as a result of that, evidently they had some things that they were guilty of that they had not made amends for that they had not uh, gotten uh, forgiveness for or had went through some mode of repentance about. And so they did not have then a good conscience. They realized, again, the scripture says they were convicted by their own conscience. They realized that they had their faults too. 
They had brought this woman in, wanting to bring down, you know, the brass hammer upon her for adultery. And yes, that's horrific, but they had some things in their lives too. Maybe, maybe not public, maybe private, maybe no one else knew except them. We don't know, but they needed forgiveness. And so what guilt does when we talk about guilt, and we have talked about that at different times already in this study uh, about how today, you know, uh, it's, we just don't want anybody to feel guilty. We're very quick to get through the guilt step of, of, of forgiveness and repentance and all that. You know, we want to, don't want anybody to feel bad. And uh, I told you that uh, it was a doctor really that said it, uh, of psychology. He said that typically whenever people feel guilty, it's because they are. Uh, but guilt breaks our relationship with God. But it not only breaks our relationship with God, it breaks our relationship with mankind as well. Because whenever we feel guilt, the typical, the typical response is, is that we avoid people that uh, we've wronged or that there is a schism. It feels like there's an avoidance that takes place whenever there's guilt. You, you don't necessarily want to be around somebody whenever something's happened. It's just a process of feeling guilt in our lives. Adam and Eve, a good, a good biblical picture of this or proof of this is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They avoided God because of the very same thing. The Bible says in Genesis 3 and verse number 7, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Verse 8, and they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Number one, in verse number seven, they, they've already transgressed. They've already taken of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that the Lord uh, urged them not to. They had all these other trees they could eat from, but he said, don't do that. And the day you do, you, you will die. And so they did, and when they did, their eyes were open. They recognized their nakedness, was, which was a, really a consequence of their sin, a consequence of their transgression because before they were naked and unashamed, the scripture says, but now this has taken place. And so they go right to work, sewing fig leaves together, made themselves aprons, and they're, they're doing what now their conscience is there, right? And they're trying to hide their nakedness. They're, there's an awareness then as the result of their sin that they are negative, so they're trying to hide that. And then in verse 8, the Lord comes down in the cool of the day. They hear his voice, and they hide themselves the aprons maybe they felt like they were insufficient which we find out they were uh, but then they go hide themselves the Bible says from the presence of the Lord again all of this is because they knew they knew that they had went against the Lord they'd went against what the Lord had prescribed and the guilt of their conscience we're making aprons the guilt of their conscience we're hiding ourselves from the presence of the Lord and so Adam and Eve really in doing that in hiding, in the trying to cover up, that's really a kind of in the back door cry for forgiveness. It's really in the back door cry for forgiveness, hiding in the aprons, hiding among the trees because they're doing all of this due to the guilt of their conscience, the guilt of their conscience. But that, that whole, whole process of what they were doing was really a plea to end the guilt that they were dealing with. The Bible says, to, to, to show the link between this hiding and forgiveness thing in our lives, Psalms 32 and 1 says this, Blessed is he whose transgression 
is forgiven. And this is what we call in the Psalms a a parallelism, or more specifically a Hebrew parallelism. It's where one statement is made and another statement follows it up, almost exactly like the first, but it's just reiterating. It's worded a little different, but it means the same thing. For instance, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Here's the parallel, two things running side by side, whose sin is covered, whose transgression is forgiven, parallels whose sin is covered. And so this device of parallelism, it's actually something that happens in literature. Amen. It's taking place right here. The phrase is repeated. The concept is restated just a little differently from what it was the first time. Maybe someone will catch it in the second, what they didn't catch in the first. But here, forgiveness and the covering of sin are are, are kind of equated or running parallel. God covered the nakedness. So, so there's a connection. Whenever there is someone that is covering, there is really a crying out for forgiveness. Adam and Eve's putting on the aprons. They have guilt in their life. That's really a, a in the back door cry for forgiveness because they want to do something about the guilt that they're feeling. So they try to do it themselves by hiding, right? And so all of this is taking place. And so whenever the Lord comes to them and then he has conversation with them in the book of Genesis, we understand later in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse 21, the Bible says that the Lord God covered the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And he clothed them, the scripture says, with coats of skins. That was a pit. It looks like just a practical thing. But in essence, he was offering them forgiveness. And you say, how so? Well, they were coats of skins, coats of skins that he covered them with. This is really the first record that we have of animal sacrifice in Scripture. Because if there's going to be skins of an animal... Mike, it probably meant that there was an animal that died somewhere along the way in order to have skins to cover Adam and Eve with. You know what that means? That also means this. If if an animal had to die in order for those skins to be provided, blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed in order for this to take place. And all of this is for the purpose of what? Covering Adam and Eve. What this does for us, although it's all the way back in the beginning of Genesis in the New Testament, this is foreshadowing something for us. The Bible even talks about in the New Testament how things in the Old Testament were just shadows of things to come. They weren't the substance of it, but they were pointing to something better. All that was foreshadowing for us was the work of Christ Jesus being the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world who, where we looked at last week in, in the epistles who through, through redemption, we have redemption through his blood, even the Bible says the forgiveness of sins. And so an animal was sacrificed, blood was shed for the covering. Huh? And Psalm says whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Amen. The Lord was offering them forgiveness, but it did not happen without sacrifice or without blood being shed of an animal that would point us then to Calvary that we are beneficiaries of today of a sacrifice of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, of blood that was shed for what? Our redemption and our forgiveness for covering us, for covering humanity. Paul Paul, in the New Testament scripture, he talks to the church at Corinth. And when he talks to them, 
He's talking to them about a man who wronged the church. And Paul, in part, was grieved as a result of this. And, and Paul had forgiven this individual. There's a lot of unknowns about this man. Some make uh, some presumptions about who he was or what he had done, but no one really knows. But we do know this, that Paul had forgiven him. And we understand that the man, as a result of his sin, the Bible tells us that he had suffered some form of punishment or there was some consequences that came about as a result of his sin as denoted in verse number 6 of 2 Corinthians and I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 6 says this and Paul's speaking to the church here he says sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many so that contrary wise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with over much sorrow. What Paul is saying, he said, this man has done wrong. He's wronged the church and me. I'm in this as well in some fashion or some way. He said, but there have been consequences as a result of his choices. And he says, we don't need to be keeping our thumb down upon him any more than what we have to because he's already suffered consequences of his choices. And so he says we're at the place now we just need to forgive him because we don't want to overwhelm him with just so much that uh, he, he's just with over, over much sorrow that he's just swallowed up by it all because he's already paid the consequences of some of his choices and we don't need to make it any worse on him all right, uh, because we feel like he owes us personally or anything like that. He says we are at a place now we just need to forgive him. He Notice what he did at 7 6. He said sufficient to such a man is this punishment. He's, he's already suffered per se sufficiently for, for his choice. He says in verse 8, wherefore I beseech you, speaking to the church, that ye would confirm your love that you would confirm your love toward him. Paul tells the members that the punishment is sufficient. It's enough. We don't, don't have to make the guy grovel, right? Get on his face and beg, no, or undergo further per punishment for that, for that purpose. He said, but he needs it restored, amen. And Paul already says, I've experienced grief from this. I've experienced grief from his blunder. He said, but nobody needs to amplify his misstep less, really, less guilt, right? Less guilt would overtake him and prevent him from being able to get past what it was that took him down to begin with. Huh? Because some people walk around with such an exorbitant amount of guilt that whatever was gone a long time ago, but they're still carrying so much guilt Amen. That trying to alleviate, trying to find, if you weigh a way, amen, to get that covered, forgiven, taken care of, amen, before you're taken down, then just by the guilt. Because you can, you can come overwhelmed by the thoughts of your own situation to the place that sometimes we've, I've met people, uh, particularly in prisons, that believe that they're beyond forgivable. Right? What does that? Guilt does. Guilt causes a person to believe that they are beyond forgivable. Should we feel guilt? Yes, there's a healthy portion, but there is also a healthy, unhealthy spot, right, where we need the covering 
We need the forgiveness of the Lord or uh, uh, of one another to be able to go on. Paul didn't want those thoughts to become the mindset of this man that had wronged the Corinthian church. He didn't want him to be overcome. He wanted this individual, amen, to be forgiven and restored, although Paul had been hurt and the church had been hurt. He gave him some advice even how this could be accomplished. If you'll notice here with me in the Scripture, in verse number 7, he gave some advice how this would be. He says, forgive him. He says also to comfort him. And then in verse 8, he even says, confirm your love for him. Amen. And we've talked a little bit about forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is the gateway. It is the path to reconciliation, right? It is. It don't necessarily have to be the end. It can just stop at forgiveness. But forgiveness, if you're going to have a reconciliation, you're going to have forgiveness along the way. But the last two items of the list of comfort him and confirm your love toward him are really nothing more. They stem from forgiveness. They stem from forgiveness. Being able to comfort, being able to confirm your love stems from forgiveness. Because in many ways, forgiveness is comforting those who receive it. When someone receives forgiveness, there is something comforting about that. Forgiveness is an actionable confirmation of your love. Forgiveness is a confirmation that there is some love there. Let me just illustrate what I'm talking about. In 1 Peter chapter number 4 and verse number 8, Peter writes in this letter and says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity, everybody say charity. Just a nice biblical word for love. Shall cover, notice the word cover now, the multitude of sins. Charity or love shall cover, cover. Remember back in our Psalms 32? Whose transgression, right, is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. The parallel, amen. Love covers the multitude of sins. Stated very simply, love forgives. Love forgives. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, which is the grand love chapter of the Bible, it tells us several attributes of love. If you forgot it, go back and read 1 Corinthians. Sometimes they use it at, at uh, weddings, and everybody's like, oh. And that, that, that husband and wife stare in each other's eyes, and it keeps, no, it keeps no record of wrongs, and it endures all things and bears all things like, oh. And then life happens. Some translations have a phrase that say in there, again, like I already alluded to, that love does not keep a record of wrongs. What is that in essence? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. You're not like last week, the guy keeping the names of the people he's going to bite. It's forgiveness. Every conflict, every conflict doesn't necessitate a confrontation. Some things that happen in life are just petty, overlookable things. I forgot to write on Sister Cox's wall for her birthday. You know, hopefully she's not seething over that. Yeah, but she's she's. <laughs> but what I'm saying, some of those things are just they're just overlookables. They're overlookables, and. If, and to put us kind of in a place that bearing that with one another because that's something that just can be forgotten, right? Do you know, let me ask you this question. Do you know 
why they have on all these sites where you use username and passwords where it has a little hyperlink that says if you forgot your password press here you know why it does that Jen both Jens because we are people that are prone to forget that's the reason why you have these little wallets that hold all of your passwords digitally because people are prone to forget we'll accept that but then when some of these trivial things of people forgetting they had a meeting with me and they didn't show up and they forgot my birthday they didn't say anything then we want to hold them to the letter of the law but you have the same user password forget link on your stuff that I do on mine what is that doesn't need a confrontation it just shows the thread of humanity we're all forgetful we have a lot of things to remember and it seems like in today's world even more than what we used to didn't have to worry about passwords years ago you know what I mean I knew where my money was in a jar in the backyard <laughs> just had to remember where you buried it <laughs> amen so every conflict doesn't necessitate a confrontation right because many times preserving peace means covering an offense without confrontation mm-hmm. covering an offense without you know the situation with Noah after the flood a planting his vineyard of grapes and then he became drunk on his own vineyard and the Bible says that he was laying exposed in his tent that the one son Ham seen the predicament of his father and rather than keep it to himself broadcast it the other two boys Shem and Japheth they come to the knowledge of the predicament of their father they walk in backwards with a garment on their shoulders. Didn't tell anybody. Dad messed up. Walked in with a garment on their shoulders. Didn't tell anybody. And covered. You know what that was? An Old Testament picture of forgiveness. Covered their dad up. They, we don't know, I don't know this, they predominantly probably heard that from their brother Ham about their dad in the tent but their response was not to go on and broadcast it along with Ham their response was to walk in backwards and take the wrong cover it up forgiveness because here's the fact that I know in my life different things I've experienced and you have too just because you get something off your chest, right? You feel like you need to confront something about what they did wrong to you. Just because you got something off your chest, guess what? Feelings were stirred up the moment that you did it. So what really good has been done out of that? Sarah has a puzzling look on her face. If we have a confrontation and you feel like you need to confront me about something I did, and you want to get something off your chest, what is it stirred up in the very moment of doing that when it could have been very easily something you said, you know what, I'm just going to let that go. I'm not going to hold that against him. Maybe he's having an off day. And you just walk away. We believe we need, just, we need justification. We need to be, they need to know that that ups, 
They don't. I don't need to know every time I upset you. Nor do you need to know every time you upset me. Sometimes bygones are just bygones. Genesis 45 verse 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself. So much of the book of Genesis is covered with Joseph's story. Matter of fact, Joseph is written about more than any other character in the book of Genesis. And you know really what his story is at the nucleus? Forgiveness. Genesis 45 and verse 1, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. This is a scenario where his brothers are there. They don't realize this is their brother. All right, this is much later in the story. He calls, listen, listen, he caused everybody to go out. He cried. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known to his brethren. He was just basically letting them know, I'm your brother Joseph. You've been coming the past few times for food and, and different things, and I've asked questions and so on and so forth. He says, I'm your brother Joseph. And so he wanted to address them personally, just letting them know, listen, he's not talking to them in this moment about, you guys put me in a pit. It's not what he's talking about. He's just letting them know, I'm Joseph. I know you don't realize I'm talking through, to you through an interpreter in the Egyptian language. He said, I'm just letting you know that I'm your brother. All right? Amen. What he is confronting them with, though, is his forgiveness to them. It's not so much Bishop confronting them with their wrong as he is confronting them with his forgiveness. And notice what forgiveness does here. It saves his brothers from unnecessary embarrassment. Why? Because before Joseph even ever offers his forgiveness, he has everybody else in the room dismissed. Why do you do that, Joseph? Because all these other people don't know that there was something between us. And so I'm dismissing everybody because I don't want them to have any different thoughts about you or me. So everybody gone from the room. So it saved the brothers of unnecessary embarrassment because Joseph keeps the details confidential. If it didn't involve you, it doesn't concern you. The circle... No, and I've said this in other forgiveness series that we've done over the years. The circle of involvement and the circle of forgiveness only needs to involve the circle that was involved initially. Because this is what happens. I'll say it again. Whenever it doesn't just involve that were involved initially and people begin to talk, after whoever initially was involved, that's taken care of, the people on the periphery still have problems with a situation that's already been resolved because they were made a part of it from the beginning. If it's, if it's something public, it being taken care of public, but if it's something private, listen, I've, there's been a lot of stuff, and I know there's people sitting right here this morning that can vouch for me if they could, but it's private. There's a lot of stuff that's happened around here during seasons of time from bishop till now that took place privately that no one's ever wiser about. Oh, 
McGee, you should have let us know. That doesn't benefit you. That, that doesn't benefit you. No. What it did, though, was benefit you by not knowing. Benefited you by not knowing. This, this is wisdom when conversations center around an offense. Again, the discussion circle should be only be as large as the circle of crime from the beginning. The Bible talks about, you know, uh, James endorses the fact that one, one to another, the rule of confessing faults, one to another. That doesn't mean that you take all your faults and go around to confess it to each, each, every person. That's, that's a misapplication of Scripture. The one to one another of confessing the fault is if there's a fault between you and you, that's where the confession takes place. Genesis 45, still Joseph, great, great picture of forgiveness. Verse number four, and Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sowed into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sowed me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. God sent me ahead to preserve life. He, he forgave them. He identified these were the brothers. He forgave them. He released them. He told his brothers, you sold me into Egypt. No one else is around. Forgiveness relieved them of any unhealthy sorrow that they might have had because they've been carrying this now for years. They've been carrying this for years. And Joseph told him, said, don't be grieved. He said, don't be angry with yourselves. He, he's, trying to, he's trying to soothe their, their pain of guilt and shame. He said, don't be, don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves. And prior to this, it's important to note, prior to this ever happening, Joseph, again, they didn't realize that he was uh, their brother, and he had overheard them talking among themselves whenever you know, one was going to be taken to the prison or whenever the money was found in their sacks that they were talking. You know what? This wouldn't have happened. He could hear them. This wouldn't have happened. And we'd done right by our brother Joseph. Conviction and stuff were happening. This, this wouldn't have happened if we'd not thrown him in the pit. And so Joseph's aware of all this, and he told him not to grieve, not to be angry. And, and he continues to re release them. Forgiveness isn't about releasing them once. Forgiveness is about continually releasing. Why? Because... Although we are very forgetful, we don't forget wrongs very often. And I'm not, I'm not telling you forgive and forget. It's an impossibility. Forgetting is an action of the mind. That's impossible. You can help yourself choose not to remember, but forgetting is an impossibility. But you know what happens whenever you remember? You have an opportunity to forgive again. And that happens here with Joseph and his life because whenever Joseph's dad, Jacob, died, and you can go to Genesis 50 with me in verse 15. When Jacob died, Joseph's brothers thought that he was going to take revenge upon them. They thought in their back of their minds, Joseph has just been laying low and treating us with kindness all this time. And once dad's dead... I mean, he's like second powerful man of Egypt. He's going to take care of business then. And so when we read in just Genesis chapter number 50 and verse number 15, this is the story. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will preadventure hate us and will certainly requit us all the evil which we did unto him. Note, 
This is chapter 50. Where I told you that he forgave them was chapter 45. That's already happened, all right? And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall, so shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now. He had. But they're just, you know, they're a little scared here. Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of thy servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when he spake unto them. You know why Joseph is weeping? Because he feels like he's already done this. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. Verse 18. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Right? They come with their hat in their hand because they're feeling like something horrific is going to come about. And the Bible says, And Joseph said to them, Fear not. Dismiss whatever's going through your mind right now. Fear not. For am I in the place of God? Right? I've already forgiven. I've already. If, if God has vengeance, that's God's business. But am I in God's place to do vengeance? No, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant unto me good to bring, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Verse 21, now therefore fear ye not. Again, he's, he's admonishing, he's trying to help them here. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. You know what this was in, in chapter 50? Another opportunity for Joseph to forgive again to forgive again the bible says in john 13 verse 35 jesus red letters are popping up and he is speaking he says by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another jesus said you know his disciples by their love one to another there's a lot of different ways that love can be demonstrated of course i think we all would agree with that there's many different ways that love can be demonstrated um, we, if we begin to list them, it would be innumerable. But one of the ways that love can be demonstrated that we've already looked at in Corinthians and elsewhere is through forgiveness when we cover sins. Not covering for the purpose of the sin continuing to go on, but for the sake of covering to go on, right? To, that's where we emulate Christ. The Bible says in, in Ephesians that we are to put off the old man that's the word in the scripture. And we're to put on the new man. And this is what the Bible says. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. What does that mean? It means the new man emulates God, which, which is created in righteousness and true holiness. Therefore, if God is a forgiving God, our new man who is patterned after God, who emulates God, has the same, and I'll state it like this, has the same potential, has the same potential to forgive. We're amazed oftentimes when we read the account in the book of Acts, uh, like Acts 8, I believe it is, right around in there, uh, Acts 7 maybe, that's really where it's at. But nonetheless, we're amazed because Stephen, a disciple of the Lord, is being stoned. Huh? That's the mode of taking a life. They're stoning Stephen. And while he's being stoned, let's look at it in this way. Stephen is being offended. Right? It would be kind of offensive to be stoned. It hurts. I think it would. He's being stoned. And while this is going on, 
What does Stephen do? He offers forgiveness to those who are stoning him. Acts 7.60 if you want to read it. And we stand back and think, how in the world could Stephen, Sister Cox, forgive people who's hurling stones at him? And it's then that we remember very quickly he had a really good example because as Christ was on the cross being crucified, he states one, seven statements from the cross that Christ made and one of the statements among all the statements was this. Being crucified on a tree, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen was really just emulating the example that was set before him from Calvary, being able to forgive stoners while he was being stoned. Christ forgave his persecutors while he was being crucified. John MacArthur said it like this, an unforgiving Christian is a contradiction in terms. The reason why that he states that is just because God is a forgiving God and we have all been forgiven, amen, of our sins and then patterned with the new man which is after God, like God, then we should try to make it to our benefit to be forgivers as well. Psalms 86 and 5. I use this verse of scripture many times when we go into prisons all across here, there, and yonder and I address those ladies that's sitting out there carrying around a bunch of guilt. This is a scripture I oftentimes state to them of Psalms 86 and 5 where the psalmist says, For thou, Lord, art good and ready. Everybody say ready. And ready to forgive. And plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. I, I tell those ladies oftentimes, I say, God is ready to forgive you. It's not like he has to have a two-week notice, Right? I'll make plans and preparations so I can get... No, no, no. He's ready to forgive you. Because in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in Kings and in Romans, it tells us there is no man that sinneth not. There is no man that sinneth not. And so we have this heavy truth then here today. In Kings, Solomon is the one that said that. There is no man that sinneth not. But the psalmist is telling us in the Psalms, reminding us of another fact. But the Lord is ready to forgive. And so I tell those girls, I say, this is the perfect marriage. Because on one hand, we have humanity that knows nothing but sin. That's who they are. They're sinners. They do wrong. They make mistakes. But on the other hand, we have a God who is ready to forgive. I said, it's the perfect marriage. He's ready to give what you're in need of. He's not preparing to. He's ready to do it right now. It's the perfect marriage of God and mankind. One, God never knew sin, while the other over here, that seems to be all we know, sin. Hard to know a life without sin. Yet one is ready to forgive and one is undoubtedly in need of that forgiveness. It is the perfect union because what man cannot get over by himself, God can forgive. Huh? What man can't somehow move through by himself, God can forgive. And then we have the pattern. Even so, as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us, then we forgive likewise each other. Again, more space is given to the story of Joseph in Genesis than any other character because of the lesson of forgiveness. Stop here for a moment. You want to see some of the impact of forgiveness. 
What if the alternate ending to Joseph's story was that he didn't forgive his brothers? What if the alternate ending to his story is he wanted to repay them with revenge for putting him in the pit, for selling him into those who passed by? What if he wanted revenge? What if... As a result of that, when they came for food, he refused to help them during the famine because of unforgiveness. What if, is everybody all right? What if, for instance, Judah in particular, let's say his vengeance, because he was a powerful man at the time that they met back up, what if he thought, you know what, they did me so wrong, off with all of their heads. Off with, and in doing so, he took the life of Judah and Levi and Naphtali, all of those different brothers. What if he took them all? And let's say he did that because he didn't want to forgive Mike. Well, let's look real clearly. Just one instance. If he didn't forgive Judah and wanted revenge to the point of killing Judah, you know where the Messiah came from in the family tree? From the line of Judah. I'm trying to wrap your mind around this. If it wasn't for the practice of forgiveness, you'd be without a Messiah. Our redeemed existence today is tethered to the fact that a Joseph could forgive his brothers that wronged him horrifically back then. That's the story of forgiveness. In a nutshell. Genesis chapter number 3. Trying to keep track of time here. Genesis 3, back to our story. We, we kind of touched here and go with the story here in the beginning. Look at verse number 10. It's the Lord God seeking out Adam and Eve. And he said, this is Adam's response. The Lord asked Adam, you know, where art thou? He knew. He just wanted Adam to evaluate himself. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. There we go. And I hid myself. That's verse 11. I'm sorry. Let's go down to verse 12. I'm I'm too many verses up. And the man said, because the Lord's addressing them, didn't I tell you not to eat? Didn't I tell you not to eat of that tree? Isn't this something I said not to do and you did it? Yeah. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. We know what this is, right? Right? Everybody knows it, right? She. Adam's being addressed. He's not wanting to embrace the conversation with God. He's like, not me, she. We call that blame. Verse 13, and the Lord God said unto the woman... God's not ignorant, right? What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. What is this? God's engaged in a number of conversation here. Not me. Serpent. Again, blame. Guilt doesn't only separate us from God, because that's what happened in the garden story. It separated from God because of a not a good conscience 
but it also separates us from each other. How so? Because we need somebody to blame. If there isn't someone to blame, we're left with the guilt of our own mistake. Let me say that again. If there isn't someone to blame, we are left with the guilt of our own mistake. And sometimes people are easily offended because they need someone to blame to escape their feelings of guilt that needs addressing. And it might not be just guilt over that offense. It might be guilt over other offenses in their life. They're feeling guilt just in general, and they just need a scapegoat. They need somebody to blame. Professionals, doctors and people of psychology and psychiatry call it the guilt-blame seesaw. A person will not forgive another person because they need to retain blame on them. Because once they allow there to be no blame, it's, you remember seesaw as a kid? Does anybody remember? I know they don't have them out there now because they're too dangerous, right? They take them off of our playgrounds because... Kids got their legs caught under there and had to go to the nurse's office and all that stuff. People's hands got severed, you know. We had, we had seesaws on asphalt. Our merry-go-round was on asphalt too. Someone fell off, they're going to have skid marks over their body for a few days. You know, can't have that today. You remember what I'm talking about, Heath, the seesaw? As kids, what did you do? You bounced up and down on that thing. You jumped off before the other person was off and what happened? Bam! It's like, yeah! Right? There's a little Bobby, you know, laying over on the pavements because he hit so hard it bounced him off. The only safe way to get off a seesaw is for both parties to get off at the same time. See, on the guilt-blame seesaw, you have guilt on one side and blame on the other. You're, you're sitting over here on the seesaw with your guilt, and the only way that you can keep it balanced is if you have blame on somebody else. And if you let go of blaming them, guess what? The seesaw comes crashing down with all of the guilt you have to deal with. So the only way to get off safely so Bob ain't laying over on the asphalt is that you got to release the blame and you got to get that forgiveness for your guilt at the same time and deal with issues. Right? Because we have personal failures and per personal mistakes the only way again to keep it balanced or to get off of it is both have to get off at the same time we blame other people sometimes because it's our way to self-preserve preserve myself it's a mean of protection right we can ignore whatever's going on with ourselves if we focus more attention on somebody else some people some people call call it they even call it in the professions projected guilt if you got something really bad going on in your life you're going to try to find something bad in someone else's life because it deflects the focus from you and what's going on to being on somebody else it moves the camera as a matter of fact through the years I've noticed sometimes those who cry the loudest about other people's mistakes are doing so because they got some that they don't want to talk about. If you can stand with me, we'll come to a close. We're, I'm, we're all right. We can close this down here. 
And we got to blame someone, you know, to protect ourselves. And people do do this sometimes, but sometimes it's the last resort. Sometimes it's the first resort because, you know, a lot of people don't want to start placing the blame on God. Some do that. Blame God for this loss. Blame God for this. Blame, you know, he had power to change this. He had power if he wanted to for it not to be as it was. You know, and people blame God. We're just looking for a fall guy. We don't want to deal with the feelings and the emotions and the baggage that we have. We for sure don't want to omit responsibility because that's uncomfortable. But as we started, Paul told Timothy, and this was his advice to him, was that a good conscience is one of the ways in which we war a good warfare. You tell me, Brother McGee, your conscience is never going to carry guilt or never, never be defiled? No. But Paul's just saying we wore a good warfare whenever to the best of our ability. We tried to keep the conscience clear. We try to keep the conscience good. And one way to do that, he said, is to forgive, to, to, to confirm your love, and to comfort, you know, one another. Amen. And those are just good rules to live by day by day. The question is, do you always get it right? No. You won't always get it right. As I told our guest this morning, welcome to an imperfect church. You won't always get it right, but we're hoping to grow up into the stature, the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what Scripture admonishes us to do. Amen. Come back tonight, please. Amen. Six o'clock, Brother Alex Mason will be ministering in our night service this evening. Also, don't forget, and I can't remember if this was mentioned, but the first Thursday of March is going to be the, the food, uh, Tri-State Food Bank in conjunction here with this location, uh, giving away food to households, and there's going to be plenty. There's going to be plenty of it here. Sister Jen says there's some food in the back this morning. Please just don't go through that door until the children, until that door's open, all right? Because they still might be going on. We, we don't get together and say we're both going to end at such and such time. The reason why is because I'd make myself a liar most of the time. All right, so just please be be conscious of that uh, this morning but come back on the first thursday they will be here uh, sister jen has flyers and stuff if you want some to put up uh, for people to uh, be able to be benefited by that that would be great let's pray here this this morning father i love you and i appreciate you god i need you lord jesus in this place i pray oh god today help us lord today god to have a good conscience i pray jesus toward mankind and toward god i pray oh lord today that you're able to speak and minister lord through your word it's a living word god for living people and I pray oh God help us Jesus to accept it as such I pray God minister Lord to the endeavors Lord of your people Lord in the service even tonight God begin to prepare our hearts God for the word of the Lord this evening will not fail to thank you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ we pray and the church say amen amen God bless you this morning in Jesus name thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.